Hello guys, welcome back to Shots Fired. I am Jack and today we actually don't have Christy with us, which is sad, I know, but um, it's been a bit hectic. I've just come back from Europe. She's actually just due for a holiday, which is well deserved, and she's also had a few health issues come up, so we didn't want any of this to get in the way of delivering another wonderful episode for you guys. So I'm riding solo today. Don't worry, Christy will be back as soon as she can and... Yeah, we can't wait to have you back, Christy. Maybe send her a little send her a little love, a little well wishes and happy holidays and even though her holiday will be over by now. But anyway, I'm rambling. Let's get into today's episode. We're going to go over camera settings and a few general things about like lenses and things. Um, so this episode is mostly for people who are probably just beginning or have kind of a hobbyist interest in cameras and don't understand settings so if you're someone who enjoys photography maybe you've got a camera but you don't fully understand the settings or you want to buy a camera and you don't understand kind of the specs of what you're looking at um, hopefully this will help you a little bit so in shooting there are three different main um, methods that you can get your exposure correct if your exposure is not correct then you're either overexposed which means the image is too bright or you're underexposed which means it's too dark. Both of these things are things that can and will ruin your shot so this is what we want to avoid um, and to get that perfectly exposed shot there's trade-offs you need to make between three major settings. Um, again there's there's multiple ways you can get the correct exposure and by correct I just mean not underexposed and not overexposed. Um, but those things depend on what you're trying to achieve creatively. There's no like right or wrong. So if you're putting it in auto, that's not a right setting. That's just a setting. And actually, it's generally not right usually for what you want. Um, so that's what we want to avoid. We want to get everyone listening here out of that auto mode. Um, it's hard sometimes when you're just brand new, but that's the last thing we want to do. So... Your aperture is the first one I'm going to talk about, and this controls the area over which light can enter your camera. So when you see that typical, um, when you're looking into a lens and you see that sometimes it's in cartoons and things where there's a disc that kind of slides in and it changes between like a little tiny opening and a big opening. Same concept as the human eye, your pupils dilate and get smaller, smaller or bigger. Um, Second one is your shutter speed, which controls the duration of the exposure. So when you hear a camera sound, those two sounds are two shutter motions. And in between those sounds, light is coming into your camera. So if you have a super fast shutter speed, not much light is coming in. So the image is going to be darker. If you've got a slow shutter speed, more light's coming in between those sounds. So it's going to be brighter. The third one is your ISO, and this is the sensitivity of your camera's sensor to light. So that one is probably the last thing you want to change and will only change in certain situations. I'll talk about that later. Um, with all of these, there are trade-offs you need to make when adjusting for the settings. And the key is understanding what trade-offs you are making. So the aperture affects the depth of field 
the shutter speed affects motion blur and the ISO affects the image noise or the grain. So when your ISO gets too high, you'll see those really grainy images, which is definitely what we want to avoid. Okay, let's bring it back to aperture. So the aperture controls the area over which light can pass through your lens. And this is also frequently called the f-stop value. So they're the same, they're referring to the same feature. So we're going to demonstrate this. If you get your pointer finger and your thumb and you make that, you know, like the nice emoji with your three fingers up and it's like a little nice, um, just get that out. And so that would represent an f-stop that is wide open. So if you say it's wide open, it means it's at the lowest possible f-stop number. So that varies from what lens you have. Um, most of mine, it's a 1.4 or a 2.8. I have a 1.2 as well. And when you look on a lens um, and it says like the focal length, so it's a 50 millimeter 1.2, which is one of my lenses, that refers to this number. So it's the what number it is when it's at its widest. So the area of this opening increases as the f-stop value decreases. So again, hold up your hand with that little nice symbol. And when it's at its largest, you see the largest circle, that means it's wide open, which means it's at the lowest f-stop number. Now, if you slide that pointer finger down your thumb, so you're gradually creating smaller and smaller circles, that kind of represents putting your f-stop higher. So the maximum is generally 22, I believe. Um, so once you get to that teeny, teeny, tiny circle, it means you're at your highest f-stop value. So if you've only got this tiny little hole opening in your lens, that means not as much light is going to get in. So tiny circle, higher f-stop number, less light. Slide that finger back up till it's at the point of your thumb again. Bigger circle, lower f-stop, more light is getting through that bigger circle. So what does this actually mean? Um, so picture like a iPhone portrait mode. You're taking a portrait and your subject is in focus and you've got that background blur, which is called bookie. Um, that means your f-stop value is very low. When you have a photo with people in focus um, and you want like the landscape behind them to also be in focus, that means you want a really high f-stop. So for example, if you're doing family photos or like wedding photos with the family, or you've got multiple rows of people, then you want a higher f-stop value to ensure all of those faces are in focus. Otherwise, you run the risk of some of the faces being in focus and some of them being very blurry, which is not what you want when you do family photos. So there's always trade-offs you have to make. So bumping that f-stop higher will get those people all in focus, but it also means the image is darker. The same is true of the opposite. So if you've got the super low f-stop and you've got that nice background blur, that means your image is going to be brighter. So the second thing we're going to talk about is shutter speed. So again, those two clicks, that's when the light is entering the camera. The faster the clicks, the less light, the slower the clicks, the more light. When the exposure time doubles, the light doubles. So it's completely correlates between the time and the light. So the figures in shutter speed all refer to seconds. So the lowest, like one to 30 plus seconds is for very low light, like complete darkness night. And this is generally when you're doing like star nighttime photos. Um, you will need a tripod for this. You cannot just hold your camera still. It'll still be blurry. <laughs> Even if you're like not breathing and everything bracing, 
it's going to be blurry. So you definitely need a tripod for that. Two to half a second. That's like when you're getting um, daytime, but maybe you're getting like a waterfall and you want that flowing motion of the water to be blurry, but everything else still, you'll still need a tripod for this. Um, but that's in that two to half a second kind of range. Um, half to one thirtieth of a second. This is when you, you're going to get some motion blur. So you could either do say, if you're doing a photo of a room, but you want someone walking past blurry in it, you could do that. Um, or you could have your subject standing still and people moving around them to get a different kind of effect. Um, you can do this handheld, but you'll have to keep it really still. 150th to 100th of a second. Um, you can do this handheld, but it's kind of like danger zone because if your subject's moving or if you move a little bit, it's also going to be a bit blurry. Um, generally, you want to be at least a 200. Keep in mind, if you're shooting with flash, it has to be under 200. Um, otherwise, you're going to get banding and you're going to get weird lines in your photos. So definitely under 200 shutter speed if you've got external lighting. Um, one two fiftieth of a second to one five hundredth of a second. Um, this is where you can get some movement, people walking along, you'll be fine with that. Um, this is generally everyday scenarios unless it's super, super bright. Um, and then from that thousand to, I think mine is up to eight thousand of a second. Um, and that's the upper limit of the camera. I'm probably only ever there if I'm shooting outside and it's like middle of the day, super, super bright, then I'll have my shutter speed kind of right up there. And lucky last, the ISO. So this determines how sensitive the camera is to the light. So the lower ISO is always desirable. You don't want grain. There's no real reason to increase the ISO except for when you need light. So that's the main difference between aperture and the shutter speed. You kind of have creative control over whether you're changing the settings, whereas the ISO is pretty much just like, move it if you need light, that's it. So for example, um, when I shot indoor tennis, you need a super high shutter speed, which means your photo gets darker. So in order to compensate for that, I need to put the ISO up to make it brighter because you need that shutter speed fast if you're doing indoor sport or any sport, really. Um, but commonly, you probably want it between 100 and 800. Higher than that is only recommended when you really need it. Um, I'm usually between maybe 800 to 2000 when I'm at like weddings at night. Um, but other than this, I really hesitate to go even past a thousand. Um, I like to keep it quite low just to make sure the images are sharp, not grainy and as best quality they can be. So let's go into some exposure modes. Um, you've got your auto program, aperture priority, shutter priority, manual and bulb. So auto is just your stock standard. The camera will set every single setting for you. Um, again, this will never be perfect and you can kind of use it as a gauge. This is what I did when I was learning. I would put it on auto and I would see what settings it was on. And then I would go into manual, change my settings to those settings it recommended and alter from there. So I can kind of figure out uh, what I was doing and Sometimes you'll look in the viewfinder on auto and it'll be like, this is clearly not right. It's clearly too bright. Um, so then you can go into manual and adjust from there and make it how you want it. 
um, program, this automatically sets the aperture and the shutter speed and you choose the, the ISO. So that means that you avoid it getting really grainy without you realizing. Um, but then it will have the full um, decision whether to make your shutter speed really low. Maybe it's too low and it gets blurry. Or maybe it makes your f-stop really high and too much is in focus and you want more bookie. So it's a way to do it to keep it non-grainy, but I would not recommend going into this either. Then there's aperture priority. So this is where you set the aperture and the ISO and the shutter speed is on auto. Shutter priority is similar. You, sh you specify the shutter speed and the ISO and the aperture is set on auto. I don't use either of these. I never have. Um, I just like having the full creative control. It means you have to be like a little more alert because um, lighting always changes and, and what you want to do always changes. But I just find shooting in manual is the easiest, simplest way to go to make sure you're always getting what you need. Um, so that's the next one, manual. And that's what I always, always, always use. I'm never in anything else. Um, bulb, this is useful for exposures over 30 seconds. So you set the aperture and the ISO and the shutter speed is either determined by a remote switch or you can press the shutter once and it will keep going until you press the shutter again. Okay, so lenses. This is generally where the creative control comes from because it kind of defines what you are able to capture and how. The focal length tells you how much of a scene your camera can capture and that's expressed as a number. Smaller numbers mean a wider angle lens. So for like a landscape where you want to fit, you know, a wider amount in, you want a lower fixed length. And if you want like a zoomed, you want a higher focal length. Kind of like a macro lens will be higher focal lengths, lower will be wider. Um, iPhones are automatically set to 26 mil as kind of a reference. So macro lenses are generally like 50, 85, 105, those kind of numbers. And anything 35 below is kind of considered wide. So your aperture, again, your f-stop. So a Sony kit lens, for example, like a 16 to 35, 3.5 to 5.6. Um, so say you're looking to buy a camera and they're saying, oh, you can get this lens with it. It's a 16 to 35, 3.5 to 5.6. That means it's firstly a lens that can zoom between 16 to 35 millimeter. So all of those ranges are still quite wide. And that 3.5 is the minimum aperture when it's at its widest. So you won't be able to get a huge amount of um, background blur or bookie with this lens because the minimum it can go is a 3.5. And to get that portrait, beautiful blur in the background, you generally need lower than that. But with these lenses that come with a range, an aperture range, um, that also means that as you zoom, the minimum aperture gets higher. So 3.5 to 5.6 means once it's at its maximum zoom, so a 35 mil, that minimum aperture is now a 5.6. So you're really not going to be able to get any blur at that point. Um, 5.6 is generally where I'm at for like family photos, um, group photos at weddings because you want all of those faces in focus. So yeah, you're not getting any kind of background blur with that. Lenses with a wider maximum aperture, the lowest f-stop number is kind of close to one. Um, 
there are not many lenses with a f-stop of one that are possible. My lowest is a 1.2 and even that is pretty special. Um, they are a lot more expensive but they're really, really good for low light situations. So if I'm doing like photographing a dance floor, um, even if I've got a on-camera flash, um, I'm still very, very low with my f-stop so I can use as much light as I can without bumping that ISO too high. Um, prime lenses. So they are prime lenses are a fixed focal length. So I shoot pretty much predominantly on prime lenses. And this means you cannot zoom with them. They are one focal length and that's it. The amount of times I've handed my camera to someone with a, a prime lens on and they're like, how do you zoom? And I guess this isn't a commonly known thing if you don't really know cameras, but with most high quality lenses, you cannot zoom. Um, once you get zoom lenses, you've got more glass in between and that makes them heavier and that reduces the quality. So that's why for prime quality you generally don't want zoom lenses and if you do have a zoom lens that's great quality you are going to pay for it they are very expensive so that means prime lenses are generally lighter um, the zoom lenses they allow different focal lengths um, they're more flexible because you obviously can use different focal lengths but they are not as fast uh, they do have more glass so they're generally bigger and they're heavier macro lenses are very for close-up photographs. Um, these have features like you can focus a lot closer to your subject. So a lot of lenses, if you're like 15 centimeters from your subject, it literally won't focus on it. It'll be like, you're too close. Um, macro lenses have a, you know, a feature where you can focus on things very close to the subject, which is very nice sometimes, especially if you're doing like food and things like that can be very handy. Um, telephoto lenses. These are zoom lenses with multiple, multiple focal points. So they're great for isolating subject far away, great for, for sports. And they are, again, very, very expensive. So I think mine was about four grand, um, but they can go up to tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars for big, big telephoto lenses. Very expensive. Um, and then you've got your wide angle lenses and these are for getting a lot of things in frame. Um, these are great for like real estate where you want to make a room look nice and big and you want to get everything in in one shot. Um, but you need to be really careful with these with warping because then you can get that kind of fisheye effect and you don't really want that. A uh, 35mm lens is a standard lens for wedding photographers and for landscapes. It's kind of not too wide not too close it's, it's like your goldilocks lens it's just right for a lot of things then your 50 mils they're roughly how a human eye would see the world they're great great for lots of different kinds of photography and they can have like quite nice bookie as well um, they can be used for portraits they're they're just zoomed enough that you get that kind of portraity feel to them 85 mils Amazing for portraits. I love my 85. Um, I use this for every wedding. I use this for any campaign stuff. I use this for food. I use it for a lot of things. I love my 85. Um, and then you've got 200 mils and they're great for sports, great for weddings too. Um, I use my 70 to 200 2.8 a lot for weddings and a lot for sport. Whenever I do tennis, I use this lens. Um, they're great as well. 
So, what do you get? <laughs> After all this information about lenses, what do you get? Um, that depends how serious you are and what your budget is. So, if you do weddings, things like that, I'll suggest you need low light capabilities. So, a 24 to 70 2.8 and a 7200 2.8. Those two lenses will cover you in pretty much anything. You can get some of that bookie. Um, with a 2.8, you can get away with it. Um, and that, that effect kind of seems amplified when you're fully zoomed in. So that 2.8 will look like a beautiful, nice background blur. Um, for portraits, I like to have like my 85 or my 50 as well that can go down to uh, 1.4 and 1.2 respectively. So you just get a little bit more of that bookie. If you are wanting to do kind of coastal stuff, if you're doing anything to do with surfing, you're going to want to zoom. Um if you're doing a lot of fashion, kind of portfolio models, then um, I would also recommend something with a lower f-stop value, um, just so you have full creative control over that kind of bookie aspect. Um, this is where you can get really beautiful reverse focus imagery as well, where the, the landscape is in focus and the model is actually not. Um, that's really beautiful as well. And if you're just like a general hobbyist, then you probably don't need the best of the best. Like this, the 24 to 70 2.8s, um, I would definitely recommend this to um, professional photographers. I actually don't have this lens because I have enough prime lenses that I just switch them out and I kind of get those in between focal lengths. Um, but it's a great, it's a great versatile one if you don't want to keep switching lenses or if you can't shoot dual cameras. Um, but the 2.8 to 70 4.0 is great for hobbyists, travelers, um, people who want to buy a nice lens, want a flexible lens, but don't want to pay like big bucks for the top quality. Um, they do, they're going to do a great job. You're not going to have as much creative control, but if you're just having it for a bit of fun and for traveling and family and all of that kind of stuff, then it's going to be amazing for you. If you don't have an absolutely huge budget and you can't get like your dream camera and your dream lens all at once, I would personally recommend getting the higher quality lens and a lower quality camera body that you can eventually upgrade. And there's a few reasons for this. Um, the lens is actually generally what has the most say in the quality of the image. Um, and it's also not updated as frequently as the bodies. So probably every year to three years, a new version of every camera body these days comes out. Whereas the lenses don't really change for quite a long time. So they hold their value a lot longer. It also means that once you do upgrade that camera body, then you can still use the same lens and you're still going to notice an awesome increase in the quality. Um, the lenses are designed to work with the highest quality cameras so you're not going to see anything holding you back in that sense. So now I'm just going to give like an example of my kind of camera journey and what I bought, what I upgraded to and kind of my trajectory. Um, so I started with a crop sensor Nikon. I cannot tell you what the model was. I literally have no idea. I got this right out of high school and it was just kind of like for fun for, with my friends, just like literally have no idea what it was. Um, when I realized I wanted to take this a bit more seriously, I got a Sony A7R Mark II and I got that with a kit lens that was a 24 to 200 
with a variable f-stop. can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and I just had that. I, I solely used that for, I would say, maybe four to six months. Um, and then I started doing some food photography and I wanted a, a lens with a, a lower f-stop capability. So I got a 50... I think it was a 52.0 Sony and that was like a $500 lens, not a fantastic lens, but to me it was still very new and exciting and it gave me the ability to do something new. Um, and at this point my passion's growing and I know I want to take this more seriously. So um, I think I had only those two for another, maybe another year even. And then I got a Sigma 85 1.4, which I still use to this day. I love this lens. It's a bit heavy. It's pretty big, um, but the result is amazing. And then I got my 70 to 200 2.8. This lens I had been saving for for such a long time. Um, I probably rented it about four or five times for different tennis jobs and finally was able to buy it and I was stoked. Um, I actually, before this, also got a 35mm Sigma, which I just about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, upgraded to a 35 Sony GM, which is just sharper, a little crisper, faster, better autofocus. I also started dabbling with a bit of real estate work at some point, and I got a Sigma 16 to 35 um, which I still have and don't love. I would love to upgrade this to a Sony 14mm prime at some point, um, but it's it's definitely my least used lens. You don't need super wide very often, but when you need it, you really need it. So I think this will be one of my next upgrades, um, but that's my whole, my whole lenses at the moment. We've got that 16 to 35 Sigma. I've got my 35 Sony GM, I've got a 50 1.2 Sony GM, the 70-200 2 2.8 Sony GM, and the Sigma 85 1.4. That's everything I have right now with two Sony A7 III bodies. Um, I noticed a massive difference when I upgraded from the Sony A7 R Mark II to the Sony A7 III. Um, and at this point, I have no reason to upgrade to anything else. I would love to have an A9, but with a $6,000 plus ticket on it, it's not a priority. <laughs> so that's where I am at the moment. Um, I hope that was understandable. I felt like I was rambling, but <laughs> hopefully you got something out of it. Um, please let me know if you have any questions. Um, and Christy, I'm going to shout you out right now. Can you please upload on our Shots Fired Stories your camera and lens journey, what you started with, what you moved to, um, what lenses you use most, all that kind of stuff. Because we want to hear from you and I miss you so much. I think that's about it. Um, any further questions on lenses, cameras, settings, any of that stuff, um, please let us know. You can also go onto both of our Instagrams and if there's a shop that like looks kind of creative and you're wondering how we did it what kind of settings we got to get that um, send it to us and ask us you know explain the settings and we can do maybe like a real TikTok series where we look at the photo and explain what the settings were to get that image so yeah that's it guys 
Thank you so, so much for listening. Please, 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 pretty please, give us a rating and a review. Reviews matter so much. This makes a massive difference for us because when people are searching for a photography podcast, if you have more ratings and reviews, then you get higher in the list. So as a new podcast, we need all the help we can get because we want to reach people. We want to share our love. Um, so please do that. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Shots Fired Pod. We're on TikTok too, Shots Fired Pod. And if you have any questions, requests, anything at all, you can send us an anonymous message. That link is on our highlight in our Instagram. Or you can email us at hello at shotsfiredpod.com. Thank you so much, guys. Bye.